This episode of Songwriter Stories is sponsored by Piano Wars. Piano Wars offers unique, high-energy entertainment featuring dueling pianos, power sing-along, audience participation, and dance music. Find out more at pianowars.com. You're listening to Episode 5 of Songwriter Stories. I'm Dave Caruso. Our guest today is a songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, arranger, and music producer with a confectioner's talent for melody, hooks, and harmony. In between writing how-to articles, sharing video tips, and mentoring other songwriters, he channels his love of well-crafted songs into creating his own sonic popscapes. From his humble yet well-equipped recording studio nestled in a suburb of Queens in New York, Mark Bassino makes melodic pop songwriting sound easy. Turn off the phone and TV Carry my heart, carry my heart away Come on, you know it's easy Carry my heart, carry my heart Let's go walk on hands in the dark See the things we never say Mark Messino, welcome to Songwriter Stories. It's good to have you here. Thanks, Dave. It's good to be here, man. I appreciate you doing it. Love your material. Love your music. Thanks, man. Ditto. We're going to have some fun here. (laughs) Cool. Excellent. I'm going to start with your album artwork on Pop Job and Million Dollar Milkshake. I love your artwork, and it's really... Thanks. It really invites you in. It tells you what it's about, kind of, like you know it's going to be fun. Right. Um, Talk about that a little bit and who, who was responsible. Um, well, you know, I have to say, uh, the first record pop job, uh, the artwork uh, was done by my better half, uh, my wife, Lynn Bacino. So uh, I have to give her, give her props there. Um, she, uh, she's a graphic artist, uh, by trade. Actually, she works in film now. She's, uh, uh, a lighting director in, in, for animated films. So, um, it's cool. I kind of have like a built in, uh, graphics person (laughs) in the house, uh, million Dollar Milkshake, uh, yeah, that was an illustration that was done um, by a really talented uh, couple. They're based in Brooklyn. Uh, their name is 
John and Wendy. They, uh, so you can, you can find them at John, John and Wendy.com. And they're really talented, uh, illustrators. Um, that's very much their style. What you see on million dollar milkshake is, is very, uh, sort of the quintessential John and Wendy style of, um, illustration. And, uh, I, I'd seen their work and, and they're also musicians and we had, uh, you know, kind of met on the New York scene and, and I had seen what they had done, gotten friendly and, and I was like, wow, you know, I just kind of kept that in mind for, for the second record. I had it in mind. I was like, I got to get them to maybe do something, uh, for me. So they were kind enough to, uh, do that illustration. Um, once I sort of had the, the title of the, of the record down and, I think what they tried to do is <laughs> sneakily. I didn't realize until afterwards. I, th- I think they tried to make the couple on the on the artwork look like my wife and myself. I think <laughs> so. Yeah, they're really great, man. They um, they illustrate books, um, ch- some children's stuff, and they're just really talented people and super nice folks too. Really, really nice folks. So. In 1998, you put out Pop Job. 2003, Million Dollar Milkshake. Is that date right? That's correct. 2010, Queen's English. Right. And 2016, you have a single, Not That Guy. This is your, um, this this is a really good representation of your songwriting in just uh, three albums and one single. Uh, Melody, chord changes, great bridges, high production quality, and a nice guitar and keyboard blend. Well, we had a short uh, time between when I invited you to do this and now, but I've been uh, saturating myself with your music <laughs> and enjoying it very much. You've got very conversational lyrics, and you combine it with a lot of do-do-da-da, whoa-whoa-yeah-yeah. Did you forget the words? 
<laughs> Probably. Um, and you don't do it instead of a chorus, and you don't do it instead of a verse. You kind of do it additionally, like a hook. I think I, I kind of try to um, use that stuff in a very, in a very traditional sense uh, of of using it. I guess in 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 intros and outros. I mm-hmm. guess that's the way I look at it in terms of song structuring. Um, yeah, I think I use it. I've, I've, I'm trying to think now. Of, Connective tissue. Yeah, yeah. I kind of think I, I, it's good to kind of exactly uh, bring people into the tune um, in terms of songwriting uh, without a musical intro, let's say, or or, or say instead of a an lead instrument playing a musical intro and just another option of using uh, a vocal melody line and to sort of sing a nonsense syllable uh, kind of thing, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and again, in the middle, like you said, connective tissue to sort of restate that theme in the middle of the song. A lot of times maybe have another intro and before the second verse, let's say, I mean, we're talking songwriting, right? So, <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, and then kind of, you know, restate that at the end as the, that sort of theme at the end. So I've done that a lot. I'm guilty of that. Um, sort of the do do da da thing, um, in, uh, I don't know it feels very classic pop to me too. So I love it, I like and the, and and I made it. I made it sound like I was accusing you of something, but of course I love it. Oh no 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 no! When you take a scheme of a song, um, as and and you and I both teach this stuff, but when I teach arranging, I talk about how you know the, the pieces can be put in any order you want, and how effective your song is depends on the way you put those pieces. You know, in what order you put them in, and then when you use the connective tissue to you know, set it up. These are the kinds of things that make it really successful. You don't sound like I did a verse and then break. Here's a, here's a chorus break. Right. <laughs> you know, it has to smoothly go from one to the other and you do a really nice job with that. Thanks man. Yeah. I think I, I, I think when I, when I teach songwriting, um, I, I kind of talk about the same thing. I, I agree. I, I think structure, I spend a lot of time on structure. I think when I, when I'm in that mode of, of teaching students, uh, and I, I do it because I, I agree. I think it's really important. And I also think it's something that people um, don't really focus on that much. I think it's, it's, a, it's a missing link. I mean, I've, I also do a lot of production work and I've done a lot of production work in the past for other people and other artists and things. Um, and I've always found, and I always tell students this too, is like, it's really amazing to me how I've met a lot of talented people over the years, good songwriters and and people that will come, uh, and I remember this as far back as back in college, a friend of mine who's an audio engineer, he and I had a, a small uh, studio back in the 80s um, when nobody, you know, had those kind of studios. We had like, this is pre-computers and, you know, it was reel-to-reel tape. And, and we used to have, you know, we used to record neighborhood people for beer money basically in college. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, we had um, people coming in and it was a lot of raw talent, but it was always interesting how, that part of the equation they seem to miss out on that whole structuring kind of thing where somebody would show up with a pretty good chorus or a verse or something say okay well i have this verse and then i have this second chorus and i have this second verse and now i'm going to put uh four choruses in here <laughs> you know and it's just like uh you know it doesn't uh, it doesn't seem to uh you know it seems to hurt the momentum you know i, I had to be become adept at, at finding uh kind ways to talk people down from the ledge there 
Very smart. I, I notice in beginners that I talk with or people that are, that are not as experienced, that they're good at writing hooks. They're good at writing. Uh, they, they, they play the guitar well or they play the piano well. And uh, maybe they're not good lyricists or maybe they're good lyricists, but they're, they're not good at making the music match the lyric well. Or maybe they're not good at the, uh, putting things in the right order. Uh, you have a good sense of all of those things, and that's why I'm attracted to your music. Um, but also you have a good understanding of the studio. Speaking the queen, speaking the queen. the big city, my girl and me. Headed for the new frontier. Now talking Brooklyn East, that's over. Please, man, I'm speaking the queen, speaking the queen. English, yeah, yeah. English is a studio name, an album name, a song, and a play on words because uh, <laughs> right. you are in Queens. Studios in That's Queens. Correct. That's uh, right. There's no, no apostrophe for Queens English in your case. Correct. That's very astute. Sometimes people put that in and, and, mm-hmm. and I, and I, and I kind of get like, I kind of go, oh man, you missed the point. But, oh. but people don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm a lyricist and I'm, and I'm also trying to get people uh, to understand what you're about in, in a very short time here. So thequeensenglish.com, you were lucky enough to get the entire um, URL, which is nice, thequeensenglish.com. So um, describe your studio to me, please. Okay, well, um, basically... Uh, it's a workspace for myself as a producer. I take on projects um, that I uh, think are a good fit, um, that people are interested in working with singer-songwriters, bands, um, people who are interested in, in having sort of getting something from me that uh, they've maybe heard in my music, um, that they're interested in, in having me sort of impart to their music. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing that kind of thing. And, um, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a modest studio, but it, it's, it's functional and, and does everything I needed to do. Um, you know, I have, uh, I have a drum set up, guitars, amps, you know, all the usual stuff. Um, and basically you get all that plus my services, uh, as a mixer, engineer, producer, arranger. Well, that part's huge because most people have the technology and they don't have the rest. Right. Right. I think, I think it's, that's why to me, it's almost more like a production business. That's the way I view it. Um, you know, if I'm working, uh, not only working with local artists, uh, also doing television, uh, work from time to time jingles and that stuff. I don't do as much of it as I used to do. Um, but I still, uh, do have my hand in that from time to time. And, uh, also, you know, mixed projects. Sometimes people send me mixes to do. Um, and maybe they've heard, the records and the mixes I've done on my records and they want me to, uh, you know, do that for them. So, uh, it's sort of a, everything goes kind of thing. As long as the project makes sense, uh, the artist and I are a good fit, the band and I are a good fit, whatever, then, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's cool. So, uh, that's kind of how I look at the studio. If someone wanted to, they loved the sound you're making and they thought that you might be able to help them. You do 
uh, long distance stuff as well. I'm sure people can send you tracks to work on. And oh, sure, yeah, I do that a lot. Um, you know, sort of remote stuff as well. Um, you know, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, they can visit uh, the website, which is www.thequeensenglish.com. Again, no apostrophe s. <laughs> it's just all Perfect. one word. When it comes to technology, um, there's a lot of different ways to look at that. Um, some people really worship technology and some people um, are gearheads. I am not a gearhead at all. Um, I barely know the name of uh, one guitar from another, but I know the sound. I know what I want to get. I know what I can say. I want it to sound like this. Right. Um, how, do you, um, how do you view technology and how do you keep it out of the way of your songwriting or let it be a tool of your songwriting, which is what I, and correct me if that's not how you do it. No, I, I agree with you, man. hundred percent. It's a great question. Um, I, I agree with you. I think technology for me personally, especially when we're talking the studio environment and all that, um, I kind of feel like it's a necessary evil <laughs> and that's the way I've, I view it. Um, I've always been about songs and I think like yourself, uh, it's, it's always about the song for me, even when I was a kid, um, you know, growing up, uh, and starting to, cut my teeth on, on all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, at a very early age, I started recording on a little cassette four track at a little Fostex, uh, X. Oh yeah. I had a Fostex four track. Did you have one? (laughs) Cool. And, uh, yeah, so I must've been about 15. And for me, it was all about the songs. Uh, that's how I started learning to play different instruments. Uh, again, it was just sort of a means to an end as was the recording. Um, uh, I find it, you know, I find recording interesting. I find mixing interesting. I also find it uh, frustrating. I think sometimes as a lot of people do, because it's just, you know, you want to, as long as I've been doing it too, and I feel like I'm pretty proficient at it at this point, but um, you still want to get to the end result, you know? So again, I feel like it's just a necessary evil. If you want to look at it that way to sort of uh, get it out of the way of the song and get it to sort of uh, get that, you know, frustration out of the way of the song and get it, your song uh, realized into the real world. So it's, it's a tool. Um, I'm not like a crazy gearhead, although over the years I've, I guess out of necessity, I've sort of fallen into that. So I, you know, I could, I could talk the talk with the best of them, I suppose, if we wanted to sit around and talk about preamps and compressors and, and, and things of that nature. Um, but again, I never let that get uh, out of control in, in terms of, it's always for me, it's a, it's about the song. If there was a more magical way that I could capture the song, then I would throw all the gear out tomorrow <laughs> if I could. Well, if somebody has to say to you, I need a double humbucker sound, uh, and you're doing it, especially if you're doing virtual, which I'm not sure you ever would do, but uh, I need to sound like a double humbucker and I want it to have uh, a 12 strings, uh, you know, effect. You've got to be able to quickly get to the right thing to, to do it. So there's a lot of um, as a producer, there's a lot of requirement for that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I definitely can do that kind of stuff. I mean, if I if if, if somebody was, you know, asking for that, and you would, you know, right away, you're thinking about humbuckers, or you're thinking about Les Pauls, or you're look somebody's looking for a chimey kind of thing. You're talking about a Rickenbacker or something or a twelve stringy kind of sound. I mean, but I I think those are all just colors um, in the toolkit. Uh, so as a producer, you kind of have to have your your head uh, in that space. And I don't mind that aspect of it. To be honest, I really love producing um, and uh, I love arranging and, and playing and all that. I mean, I guess, I guess when I talk necessary evils about the technology, it's, it's in just in terms of, you know, the gear and, 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 and the, the DAW software and, and, and things that of that nature that you use. I mean, there, 
very necessary. Obviously, you need them to 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 capture your vision, but you know, it's it's still at the end of the day, it's it's a piece of gear that you have to wrestle with to get it, kind of get it to meet the expectations of the vision and the sound that you're hearing in your head. So I guess that's to me is always the frustrating part and the challenge is always to try to get what you're hearing in your head um, translated into the real world through these tools. I agree a hundred percent. When I uh, used to use my Fostex, um, I, we, I always was in a hotel room between gigs with just whatever um, gear I could grab from the truck without <laughs> opening every, everything. So I had, you know, probably minimal gear. I almost never had a guitar. So I had to use a Mirage synthesizer to emulate a guitar. <laughs> right. But I would get my ideas down, right? But sure. then I was so disappointed several years later when uh, Jason Faulkner put out an album of all of his um, four-track cassette demos. <laughs> and they sounded like they were, built, they were made by Queen or something. Right, like, what right. the? Yeah, Mine man. something like this. Some people are just, I, I do believe that there are some people who have that uh, that sort of gene in them. Uh, I've heard similar things with people doing iPhone recordings and, and, and yeah. I hate you. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. <laughs> I don't know how they do it, man. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's, 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 for me, it's like, okay, if we're in a proper studio, then I, I, I think I can get a, a, a proper sound. But yeah, I don't know how these guys, these guys are like wizards, man, to be honest. They still baffle me to this day. Now, you're a multi-instrumentalist, and I'm, I'm going to guess you play guitar, bass, drums, and uh, keys, at the very least, on your albums. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I am a multi-instrumentalist, and uh, I guess, you, you know, loosely, jack-of-all-trades, master of none, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I started off playing guitar, uh, and it's really guitar is my main instrument. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I I kind of view all this stuff as a as a as a means to an end. You know, uh, I don't look at myself as an incredible instrumentalist by any means, and I I, I think people there are people who could attest to that. But I just uh, can I say something? Yeah, go ahead. Who cares? <laughs> right, right. Because yeah. it's the song. We're it's all about, about the song. Yeah, that's song, what, it's all about the song. That's what I was getting to. I mean, for me, that was, again, to go back to the, the bedroom four track, uh, that was the reason why I started playing all these instruments. Not because I really wanted to play a ton of instruments, but because I wanted to get my song ideas down. So um, I remember when I had that little four track, I was, you know, I knew how to play guitar. Uh, I was also playing bass in in my high school band in a, in a band that i played with in a, during high school and college and it was an original band and um so okay i have i'm playing guitar and i'm playing bass and i'm like uh you know bought myself a keyboard and started teaching myself piano um and 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 that kind of thing and then of course the band we had a drum kit in our rehearsal space so i was like all right well i'm gonna go and teach myself the basics of playing drums so that i can Really, not so I can learn all these instruments, but so that I, when I have these song ideas, that I can just go put them down myself, you know, <laughs> and not have to rely on. Uh, I was very inspired, I think, at the time, um, hearing some of the uh, the Pete Townsend demos, and he had put out that uh, that Scoop collection, which is a lot of demos. And I was a big people probably don't wouldn't realize it from my music, but I was a big Prince fan, still am. Uh, so I was reading about how he would you know, going in the studio and this is mind blowing for a 15 year old reading this stuff, you know? Uh, so I was like, okay, well I'm going to try to do that <laughs> with varying success. So that's kind of the path that I followed. It's the same as with the technology. It's, it's the reason I play a bunch of instruments is because I just want to get the songs down. Um, but then again, that said, I don't, to be honest, I, I use a lot of different players on my records because 
I always tend to defer to the best players available. So if someone's in the room with me that's an awesome guitar player, then I'm not going to play guitar. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Your overall sound is very modern, and I, and I like it a lot. I like your trademark uh, sound. If it, it, I mean, you may, you may think that you have one, or you may think that that's an insult, but no, you no. do have of a sound. And some of your songs, though, seem like they're influenced by an earlier time. And I'm going to name check a couple here. And Digging That Girl, sure, um, a little bit of an oldies vibe. And when I say oldies, I mean maybe 60s. I'm going to guess maybe. Sure, I'm sure. a 70s kind of guy myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm, um, I love that 60s, 70s stuff too, man, to be honest. Yeah. Spinning my head round and round, driving me crazy. Virgin Tunnel, Happy, and Who Are You are throwbacks to an even earlier time, in my you know, humble opinion. Mm -hmm. So I want to attack this question from two different directions. The first direction is, what musical decades have imprinted on you most as a songwriter? And you know, please explain. Sure. Um, well, yeah, I think a lot of people tend to view my stuff in the sort of power pop world. It kind of always gets that label, which is cool. Um, you know, it, it sort of... I think people view it as ultra melodic that, that in that kind of underground pop world, certainly when, when the first record pop job came out, it was, you know, in, in that, in that sort of bubbling underground kind of pop thing that was happening in the, in the late nineties. Um, so, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely reminiscent of sixties and seventies for sure. I mean, that, that, that stuff has a, a special place, you know, in my heart. Um, I love that kind of, 60s you know stuff and 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 early songs 70s. were written differently then today's songs if you've even i've even read books about it they try to have a hook every seven seconds <laughs> and it's too much it's it's not it becomes music by computers anymore it's not and by the way i don't think that there's no good music right now i just think that right. formula became um formula became too important Formula was always important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, we have to make sure people get to the hook quick enough, quickly enough. People have short attention spans. They're sure. shorter than ever. That's for sure. But yeah. that being true, you still want to write a good song. You don't want it to just be hook, 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 because that's not, there's nothing, you're never going to have any literary depth to that, for instance. Sure, sure. And you need, and you know, I think you need uh, the balance. You know, there, need, there needs yep. to be, if if things are going to look bright, you need some darkness. So it's a sort yep, of a, right. you, can, you, you know, if, if you're looking for too much of a, of a hook, too many hooks, it's sort of, sort of not, you know, they, they, they sort of uh, cancel themselves out. I think maybe if they, if, if, if that makes sense. Yep. So the second part of my question is which records that your parents brought into the house, do you think audiences can hear on your records as an influence <laughs> in writing? Yeah, that's, that's cool, man. That's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, my, my parents, they, they weren't like huge music listeners. My dad did, 
have a, a pretty massive stereo system that he built from a kit, which is really great um, back in the 60s. And uh, he used to play um, a lot of Herb Alpert and Tijuana Brass. So I think that's sort of gotten into my psyche. That, um, you've got a lot of horn, horn stuff in your... Music. Yeah, I think I think that's sort of like 60s, kitschy, uh, poppy with some horns and things like that. I think that's definitely those, those records that my father played. And I still love those records anyway. Um, get, sure. have kind of gotten into, you like the whipped cream album. Like. <laughs> yeah. Right. Let's Everybody likes that. Let's face it. Right. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I'm sure, I'm sure that, that, that album cover brought a lot of people to her about, but, um, tell your wife, she can't listen to that. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's that's definitely a, a record that quickly comes to mind um, for me uh, when when you when you talk about records from your parents and and to to speak to your question earlier, not only not only is the sixties and the seventies sort of a big influence on me, but at the same time, I grew up as a teenager. My formative musical years, which I don't think a lot of people really think about when they listen to my music is the eighties, <laughs> you know? So yep, um, totally. I would say as much as I love the Beatles and the beach boys and Herb Alpert and Tijuana Brass or as much as I like that stuff, I also love, you know, like the cars and the police and Elvis Costello and Hall and Oates. I mean, again, the through line, I think for all this for me that I can sort of reconcile it all together is, is that it's about the hook. It's about the song. Um, and that, and that's where I see it, sort of see the through line, uh, with all that for me. So it's not very, they're not so different these decades for me. I think they all kind of make sense because for me, it's, it's all about that one. It's all pointing to that one thing. And it goes back to what people call classic songwriting. Right. Although we're not going back as far as maybe the thirties for that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, a lot of students come to me with inspiration being most of what they do. And I always tell them that, you know, I don't teach inspiration. I don't think it can be taught. I teach craft. And if you don't build craft into what you're doing, then you're going to miss a lot of opportunities for better songwriting because you can't wait for inspiration to come. Uh, you, have, you can't just be in a certain mood or a certain part of your life when, when inspiration strikes. You've got to find ways to bring it out. Mm -hmm. um, what percentage of your, of your songwriting would you say is inspiration versus craft or, or talk about what, how it starts, you know, how songs start. Do you usually get inspired first or do you sit down at a regular time and try to put something down? Yeah, I think there's two types of songwriters, um, as you touched on, really. Uh, it's, I think there's the, the, the inspiration people who don't touch a, an instrument unless they feel in the mood to do so. Um, and then there's the people who I think are appointment writers, you know, sit down at at the at the desk or the, the guitar or the piano every day and at a certain time and and say okay I'm going to write something. Um, I think I think um, to be to be totally honest, I'm probably for my own personal music. Uh, well, I would say this: I'm probably a little bit of both because of what I do. Um, for my own personal music, I tend to be more of a inspiration guy, uh, and that's only because. Uh, a lot of uh, the other stuff that I do musically for like other people, or if I had to write a TV thing or something, that to me is more of like appointment writing. I have to sit down and I have to write this. You know how it is with, for those things. Um, again, I don't do as much as I used to, but when I used to do a lot of it, it, it's sort of like, okay, well, 
you know, it's Monday at 9 a.m. and we want this kind of song and we need it by uh, tomorrow morning and we want it to sound like a record. <laughs> so, um, you know, so in that regard, then I have to sit down and be disciplined. So I think I'm, I'm a little bit of both. So because of that and, and, and working with other people, that's also sort of an appointment thing. Um, so because of, I think, my, my life and, and the work that I do, um, it then becomes, for my personal writing, uh, it becomes more of a, uh, an inspirational thing. Now, that being said, if we look at how much is of my songwriting is perspiration as opposed to uh, inspiration, I would say it's probably like, uh, oh, I would say maybe... Uh, 80-20, I would say that it's 20% inspiration and 80% perspiration. <laughs> you get, sure. get the well, idea. You and, get the idea. Yeah, get you the idea, and now you've got you've to work it. So I agree with everything you were saying in terms of uh, you can't really teach people inspiration, that's for sure. You can teach people craft. You can teach them to be um, open and aware if they want to be an inspirational uh, type writer, um, and then you, or you can teach them to be uh, a disciplined writer to sit down and write every day at this time. Um, you know, I, I, there's probably, there's a huge, you know, tons of famous quotes about that whole thing, isn't there? It's, there was, I forgot who said there was some sort of quote about, uh, about, um, I, I, I get in, you know, I, 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 I get inspired every morning at 9 a.m. when I sit down to write. I forgot who, who maybe that was Hemingway or someone that said that. <laughs> it's like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so yeah, I sit down every day at 9 o'clock and then I get inspired. So it's sort of like forcing yourself to be in that. I think both, um, I, I've seen in various songwriting forums and things, I think people try to shame people one way or the other. You know, I, I think both are valid. I, I, I wouldn't tell anybody um, one way is better than the other uh, to sit down and write every day or, or to just wait until the muse hits. But I would say this much. I, I do believe that if you do sit down in an appointment fashion and write something, you will get something. If you're just waiting around, you're, you're, you're going to have less of an output. Um, that's for sure. Yep. Well, I, I don't make an appointment, but I do write every day. Basically, I just make sure I'm in a uh, I'm, I'm not constantly under pressure to do something. So mm -hmm. there's times of the day where I'll go to the park or I'll be available, just make myself available to to read something or to be uh, in contact with something that makes me write something down. It goes in a journal and then the journal doesn't come out for maybe a month. And then maybe a piece will need another piece to go with it. And I'll find another piece in the journal that happened years ago. Mm -hmm. So uh, the inspiration is always turned on, but you're not always tuned into it. And, I think it's important to tune into it once in a while, at least, even if you're not doing it by appointment. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I mean, that that's one of the things I talk to when I when I do the songwriting lessons and things of that nature. I, I always tell people, you've got to start to think like a songwriter. And, and part of thinking like a songwriter is, like you said, having some sort of journal set up, whether it's just a note on your iPhone or, or a note document, you know, where you can write things down and, and just start to make yourself open to sort of the, the and available to to the incoming whatever that might be um and, yep. and start to to be more observant and things like that. you start to train your mind to i think songwriters we we tend to think in a certain way we're observant we're always looking for that little snippet of humanity that we can take and distill down and and into a song or, or something so i think you if you want to learn that, that can be learned. You can start to train your to your mind to sort of be 
uh, open to those things. So I, I always tell my students that um, I think that is something that you can, you can make happen. A lot of um, older interviews, especially used to ask people a, with what I think now is a kind of a dumb question, which is which comes first, the words or the music. <laughs> what I was thinking today, as I was thinking about these questions for you, mm-hmm. um, is a lot of times um, words and music come sort of concurrently. In other words, you think of a line and before you can write another line, you have a melody for that line. Right. Do you find yourself in that situation sometimes? It seems to me that you're not a lyrics first guy. You're a lyrics second guy or a lyrics concurrently guy. Yeah, you definitely, you definitely got me there. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, and, and this goes in the manner of which I I've, I've teach my songwriting students. I, I teach them in, in sort of the way that I write most of the time, but um, which would be generally uh, music first, generally chord changes first, whether it's at the piano or, 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 or guitar. Um, and, and, and then very shortly thereafter, um, melodies on top, um, if not immediately, but very shortly thereafter, uh, the chord progression. Very strong melodies. And very strong. And they have usually nothing to do with lyrics at that point. It's, it's, you know, I, I joke around and call it the scrambled eggs, you know, the McCartney method, um, of, uh, but I don't even half the time. I don't even use placeholder words of that. I may sometimes, um, but uh, a lot of times it'll just be humming a melody or just you know nonsense syllables kind of thing. And for some reason, over time, that starts to I don't know how. And this is the part I can't explain. But somehow those those melodies start to imply rhyme schemes for me. I don't know. I just hear that. Um, so I know that I have no connection of words at this point uh, yep but but um i'm hearing a rhyme scheme that's implied in that melody um and again it's that's something i can't teach i can't tell you where it comes from or how it happens <laughs> i know exactly what you're talking about and i have tried to teach it and, I, and no one ever gets the connection that there is inherent right. flow there's inherent melody to words there's inherent rhythm to words right and there's an inherent rhyme scheme to a melody or to to a phrase right Right. Two separate phrases. And uh, when you when you create the phrase, I always tell my students, you know, instead of doing A line, B line, A line, B line, uh, they all match. There's always four in every right. verse and chorus right. you write. Why don't you write something that sounds like Hickory Dickory Dock? Why don't you write something that sounds like a limerick? Because then you've got a long line, another long line, two short lines, and a long line. Right. And then make that musical. And they, their, they sort of blew their minds when I told them that because... <laughs> They hadn't thought about it, you know, but sure. that makes it mixes mixes it up in a, in a way that keeps you from sounding, um, you know, da, 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 right, you right, know? sing song. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's it's very true, man. You know, so I I don't know. It's just something that that's my method, and then of course after that, I feel like the music will then imply the mood, and and then I'll try to um, match lyric lyrics uh, to my implied rhyme schemes and the mood of the music uh and and then i'll sort of backward engineer all that and 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 write lyrics that i feel suits all that now i seem like i've been saying this a lot in this in this interview but that said (laughs) that also is is that's the way i i teach it and that's the way i i i talk i write mostly um but i also have done it in various ways you know where i've had uh, a lyrical idea and then i'll i'll use that and 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 go the other way you know go the opposite of what i just described and write music after the after the fact or like you were saying you might have a lyric 
that might come to me uh, for a chorus, the words might be there. Maybe maybe just a hook hook line might be there in terms of the, the lyric and nothing else in terms of lyric. But um, I might have that and go with it. So yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any fixed way. I think we all, I'm sure you're the same way. I mean, we all take the inspiration and, and opportunities when we as they come in whatever which way. Again, it's part of being open uh, to this kind of stuff. And uh, but you know you could you could distill it down to what's your what's your best practice or what what is the practice that you use the most? And I think I think my practice is definitely like you had said. I'm I'm a music first. I'm a words guy after. If I had to generalize it, you you clearly have a facility for both, and that's real obvious to me. I can hear it in your music. Thanks, man. Thank you. Some songs don't easily translate into a solo performance because we build them up in the studio to be you know full of other instrumentation, but. Middletown, Middletown, would be an awesome solo song. Hear the bells, hear the sound, noon is coming round in this middle town. Took a break from the pace, left the rats to race in that city town. Took the kids to school, still their dad. Say hello to Mrs. Leary. Sit on the stoop with me, lad. I was born, I was raised seven blocks away in this middle town. I never bothered, never cared, never chased the fad in that city town. Happy just to hang with my boys, standing around town on the corner. Yeah, you know we made some noise. I'm going to put in a request right now for you. To do a live solo performance of that on Facebook or YouTube, maybe a, <laughs> maybe a duo with a twelve-string and a lead guitar. Right, I would love to hear that if you ever choose uh, to do it. Cool, man. Well, thanks. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely, I'll definitely think about that. You know, not too many people talk about that song, so I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I'm pleased that you you like that one. Uh, and it's funny you say that about the solo aspect of it because uh, if I'm I'm trying to remember right, because everything starts to blend into itself after a while when you've spent you know, 30 years in the studio. Um, that song on record is all me actually. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't believe anybody else played anything on that song. If I think of, no, no, that's all me. Nobody. So if you just had enough hands, you could play the whole thing. (laughs) Right. So, so it actually, everything on, yeah, it's, it's because it's always a mix for me. I mean, it depends. There might be a song where I play everything. Uh, there might be a song where I play almost nothing. (laughs) <laughs> depends uh um but yeah in that case that song i actually every noise on that record is me so um it's funny that you, you keyed into the the solo vibe of it but hey man you're a professional so there you go <laughs> oh baby i'm trying to be lazy yeah watch the game and drink your beer Skipping to Not That Guy. Um, get some nice lyrics in there. Uh, bad guys finish first. 
they always run in packs of lies. Nice guys bear the curse, forever starting at the gate holding your purse. I mean, I loved it and immediately thought of two Nick Lowe songs, uh, which the, 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 the lines I'm talking about are in the titles, All Men Are Liars and Time Wounds All Heals. I thought of those right away. <laughs> right, right. But I've all, I very often, I'm a, I consider myself a nice guy. Um, I very often thought of that nice guys, you know, they do not finish first. And uh, a great what a great song oh thanks man thank you so much yeah i'm glad you keyed in on that on that little that's uh the line from the bridge um yeah and uh, one of your great bridges oh thank you man yeah i'm a big i'm a bridge a big bridge guy a big believer in bridges all good songwriters are (laughs) i love them love them they're my favorite part of the songs um but uh yeah back to those lyrics yeah i um i i felt like that that one worked you know sometimes they just work you know forever at the starting gate holding your purse, you know, um, I, I felt, I felt like, I felt like that's the, um, it just, it summed it up. You know, sometimes, sometimes you get lucky, man. <laughs> that one I felt lucky with. I was like, okay, I don't know where that came from, but that's staying, <laughs> you know. Well, if I remember correctly, you're singing about how come she's with him, you know, and which is something that every guy <laughs> right. looked at a woman and said, that, wait, that's who you picked? <laughs> right, right, yeah. So apparently you're the nice guy in this in this song, right? Yeah, I think so, unfortunately. Uh, but it says, I, def- I feel like it was a definitely a, a universal sort of concept that a lot of people, I guess both men and women, really uh, can identify with. It was, it was a thought of, you know, the, 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 the cursed friend zone, being put into the friend zone, as they say. Um, so I just thought it was a cool idea for a song because i like i said i think it's universal for everyone men men women you know uh i think everybody's been in that position at one point in their life or or many points in their life so um i thought it was something cool to 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 talk about and put in a song i didn't i guess i i hadn't heard it addressed in in song that much well that was uh very strong in in both the uh the general general part of the song and also the the bridge but i want to call attention to your melodies you have some really amazing melodies but the one that stood out for me out of all three albums mm-hmm. was the verse melody too you think you're going to guess what i'm going to say mm. no that's tough no, man i don't I, I don't know which way to go this little girl really interesting i think that verse melody is really really strong and in original oh thanks man thank you she wears a heart upon a sleeve talk about that song a little bit yeah it's um it's on the million dollar milkshake record i i never really looked at thinking in terms of the verse melody um yeah, and it's interesting because that's that's a song that people don't talk about that much i mean i there you know as as an artist as you know there are songs that people bring up um from time to time and and they tend to repeat uh that's that's i think another i would say another one of those tunes that i felt got lost in the sauce a little bit so it's nice to uh to hear you single it out the subject matter of that was just um 
sort of like being in a relationship with someone when when they're getting frustrated with things and um, you can see the light around that person and maybe at the moment they can't see it. Um, so they're a little frustrated about things, but um, you can know that they're, they're going to get out of the funk that they're in and, and that they're going to get beyond whatever it is that's, that's kind of uh, in their way at the time. So um, wonder was the first song on the first album, right? That's correct. Yep. On pop. Jungle. So I think, to introduce you to the world, the people are going to say, I'm going to go find some Mark Bacino uh, material. And they put on your first album, they put on your first song. That's the song you want them to hear. I mean, it's really good. It's poppy. It's fun. It's rocks out. It's what do you think? Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I always thought it was a good, um, album starter, I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. that's why I was sort of thinking it for, and especially for my first proper record that was, you know, released on a, on a label and is out there and in stores and things like that. So you, you start to think about, okay, how do I want to present myself, uh, and, 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 I just thought that was a, a good way to kick it off. It was sort of like a, a unabashedly poppy tune and it was almost like a mission statement, I guess, for the record. It kind of like kind of said, this is what I am, whether <laughs> I don't know if you're going to like this or not, but this is what I'm doing. I still tend to think that's probably the record that I hear the most about from folks and and people like that record the best i suppose and and it's funny because i i have mixed thoughts about it sometimes not only the record but even wonder the tune um in the way it was executed like i was oh you know how how you are um and i'm sure you're this way too it's like you're like oh i could have done that better i could have done that vocal better i could have done this better you know i feel like i was firing more on all guns on the million dollar milkshake record which was the second record I, I'm still proud of what I did on Pop Job, and I don't think it's you know that flawed in in the in the sense that oh my god I, I could have done so much better. I think every record you kind of do the best you can, but it's funny that that record is actually um, the one that more people gravitate to. <laughs> so I think that's just because it's the Captain Obvious factor. The first album is more of a more of one type of style than the other one is. You've painted with more. You've opened up your paint box on the second album. Right, right. In the third album. But the first album, you were more, I want to have a certain image and a certain, you know, people said power pop. If Alan Haber were here right now, he would say, you're, you're melodic <laughs> pop. Album. He's, he's a man, Alan, yes. You're melodic pop. You're not, you're not uh, power pop because power pop means you've always got to have a certain amount of power and certain amount of, you know, yeah, rock crunch. And, and yeah. Yeah, that album certainly has, Pop Job is probably the closest to a power pop album that I, that I have, but I've never felt, but I've never felt like that. I agree with you because to me, power pop means, you know, big guitars, crunchy guitars, drums, big drums. Um, and, and there's certainly a number of tunes on Pop Job that do have that for sure. Um, but I never feel like it was a straight ahead uh, power pop record, or I don't think I'm even a straight ahead power pop 
uh, artists. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you, so know. you opened up more. I think you you got more of your paint box open, and you started doing different things. Uh, and and also that was your mission statement, as you said, not just the song Wonder, but the whole album was your mission statement. Right. And you say, okay, let's not redo that, and let's do some more things. And I think people in the power pop world tend to want everything to be focused on that. Like let's make another knack album and let's make another knack. Album. Yeah, let's man, make- you hit it right on the head. I, I, I found that frustration uh, very real um, with uh, my third record, Queens English, which I'm probably artistically most proud of that record. Um, I feel it's the most personal record that I made. Um, mm-hmm. There was a lot of things going on in my life at that time that were changing um, in terms of uh, my wife and I were living in Manhattan. We, left Manhattan. We bought a house a little bit outside of New York City and Queens. Uh, we had a kid and, and, and all this stuff. So it was, all these things were sort of swirling around my head. And I feel like it was a very personal, very uh, homespun, nesty kind of record. I always remember my, my good friend, Willie Wisely, um, who's a great pop artist. I'm not going to say power pop because um, that's not totally his thing either. Um, he said, oh, that record's very double fantasy. It's very daddy sounding. And I always, always remember that he said that. It's really <laughs> sweet of him to say that because... It's perfect. Yeah, I felt like that's really, you know, it was very much a reflection of my life. So that record is very close to my heart. But anyway, long story short is I found that I think a lot of the fans from the first two records of people that like that music um, kind of looked at that record with a, an odd look like, hey, what's going on? How come this isn't pop job? number three you know because <laughs> there's rec- you know there's songs on there that are acoustic uh there's songs that are all strings orchestra kind of thing so um you know i i find that that camp elmo for- yeah yeah the, the whole camp elmo like you know having a kid is like being in a concentration camp <laughs> sometimes <laughs> when you're waking up at uh, six in the morning and three three in the morning and you know that's that's sort of the play on that whole thing i felt like people looked at it like oh man um Maybe we're not going to give this as much attention. Uh, and, you know, there's so many other factors in terms of the right timing and all that thing. But I, I always felt like that record um, didn't get resonate as much with the, the sort of the power pop world um, that I was sort of known in um, because maybe it wasn't totally like that. But um, I never quite understood it, to be honest, because I always felt like that record was maybe more akin to, uh, you know, Harry Nilsson uh, style kind of thing. And, and I felt like that's, that's, you know, the Beatles could jump from, they could be the white album. They could jump from one of a style like that to a, to a more power pop style. And um, they were sort of afforded that opportunity, I guess, cause they're the Beatles. <laughs> but I, I felt like I was, I was like, uh, I felt a little bit of blowback on that record. Um, I got a lot of positive feedback on it too, but I felt a little bit of blowback on that as to be like, Oh, well, you know, this isn't pop job three, you know? Well, the thing is that uh, the average person needs that focus. And that's why they, you know today's music is is taught to be more formula than ever. But I, but you and I, as songwriters, get bored. We don't want to do the same thing over and over. Now, a song, an album like that one, you talked about your changes in your life. You know, let's talk about Blue Suit. got this sweet melancholy whimsical vibe and you have a line 
that says, stood above my father's grave, a sadness like a tidal wave. And then in the last, you're talking about all the situations where you wear the suit as you look at it in your closet. And you say in your last line, probably wear it one more day. Meaning, uh, in the day it, you're laying in your casket. Right. And it's wonderful, wonderful song. You recently on your Facebook page, you, uh, you put it up and, and showed everybody, here's one I'm really proud of. But you don't, um, you don't get songs like that on, on a pop job album. And so I'm, I love this album. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I'm so happy that you, you keyed in on that. And it's just one of those weird ideas that com- sort of came to me. And, I, and again, it's like we were talking about earlier, being open to these kind of things where I just, I'm sort of like a jeans and t-shirt guy from the nature of what I'm doing all the time. So I'm, I'm look, looking at that suit in the closet as this thing that I, in, in the song, I say it's seen my worst and better days. It's, it's, it's only seen funerals and weddings and parties. And it just struck me as something that was interesting and could be uh, thrown in, in, into a tune and explored. And I'm, I'm really proud of that tune. Yeah, I feel like it's, it's brilliant. It's thanks, really man. well done, and it um, and it, it, it strikes you right in the heart. Um, you said Nelson uh, earlier, but you weren't talking about a particular song. But I, I was going to ask you if, if it had a Nelson influence. I have it written right here for Blue Suit because I thought there was a little Nelson uh, quality to it. Also, um, I think it's more successful in terms of um, not quite being atonal but it tries to, to blend two chords next to each other that sound a little awkward right. the way Scarecrow People does on XT, by XTC. Oh, sure, I sure. I don't like Scarecrow People. My brother loves it. <laughs> yeah, not, not of my huge fan of those uh, on that record. I'd probably pick something else. But yeah, I know what you're saying. But what you did is you took two chords that were about a half step apart maybe and did something and you, your, your melody goes up when your chord's going down or whatever. And it just has a way of pulling at your ear, but it's still beautiful. Thanks, and it does, it, it helps to be melancholy. Thank you, man. Yeah, that's really, I, I, I gotta, I gotta say, I'm, I'm really happy that you, that you're hearing all the things and, and, and catching them all. And <laughs> it's a, cause it's, it's a, you know, it's a pleasure to talk to someone like yourself who is, is, is obviously you're inside of it as a songwriter and a teacher. And, and, uh, you know, I don't get to have these kind of conversations too often, but it's, um, I feel like I'm proud of that tune. And, and it worked on a lot of levels where it, Whereas, you know, as writers, sometimes they, things work on certain levels and don't work on others. And then sometimes you get something that kind of works on all of the dimensions and, or at least you feel that way. And, and, uh, and then you're, you're happy that it, it happens in that way. Okay. This is the first song I ever heard by you. <laughs> okay. I absolutely fell in love with it as soon as I heard it. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever heard. It was the most familiar and, and comfortable thing I'd ever heard, but also kind of like, no, who writes like that? That's weird. <laughs> really? I mean, yeah. I'm curious. And you've peaked well, my well I'm trying to build you up on purpose. <laughs> and the song is Muffin in the Oven. <laughs> He's busking around, waiting downtown this sunny day. Birds are singing, her train is late. But make no mistake, she's on her way. Biting her, she is thinking of ways to say She's got a muffin in the oven Wasn't supposed to happen this way She's got a muffin in the oven, yeah Only thing she managed to say So you've got um, a songwriting blog called Intro dot verse dot chorus 
Yeah, it started out as a songwriting blog, sort of geared more towards the uh, beginner. Um, but How I think- How long have you been doing that before we go on? Um, well, actually, I was doing that for about a year or so. And then what it's kind of morphed into, um, it's sort of the Monica for my songwriting teaching um, and a resource where people can, who are interested in songwriting can, can go and, and look at the archive, can look at new pieces that I'll hopefully write for it there. And then it also becomes a sort of centerpiece for um, my song, songwriting uh, instruction. You've got your 60-second songwriting, which is a video series. You've got your, your articles for Guitar World and also someone else, right? Yeah, I'm, I've been writing off and on for different places, uh, mostly for uh, Guitar World, um, also for uh, an, uh, more of an audio blog called, uh, it's called Sonic Scoop. Um, they're based here in New York. I've also written for um, Songwriters Market, uh, which was sort of a, a publication that was, I think it's been, we're doing it for like 40, 40 something years. Well, they, they tell people how, where to send things to be written, but what are you writing for them? Is it a how-to section that goes in each year? Yeah, they had a lot of informational content within the book as well, not only for uh, just uh, publishers and, and all that stuff. Um, yeah, so I, I, man, there's so many, you know, I always have my hand in a, in a bunch of different things. Um, so uh, yeah, the Introverse Chorus thing started out as a songwriting blog. Uh, and it was me sort of giving informational songwriting tips and things like that. And then I would also invite a lot of my songwriter friends um, that I worked with or people that I liked, admired uh, to come in and sort of guest post. So there's a lot of that there. So um, you know, if you go to introversechorus.com, you can see uh, the whole of what we did there. Um, my stuff, my friend's stuff, some, some great songwriters are on there. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a, you know, I think it's a valuable resource. Um, and hopefully uh, I'll be adding to it again at some point. With Guitar World, how was your, I don't want to say contract, how was your agreement set up? Are you ongoing? Are you just for a certain amount of time, a certain number of articles? How did they? Um, well, they work it, they're pretty, it's pretty uh, open-ended with them. I always enjoy the writing side of it. Um, um, but I always say that if I, if I can be making music rather than writing about it, I'd rather do that, <laughs> you know? But one of them pays better right now. Yeah, yeah, it depends. Um, you know, like uh, when I do have the time, um, it's kind of open-ended there. They're willing uh, and, and, and open to uh, me uh, doing stuff as I, as I sort of uh, see fit. Um, there's not really, I don't think there's anybody with them that's really writing about songwriting. So that's sort of been the, my focus for them. Um, and at this point now, I'm, I'm probably doing like one piece a, a month for them. Uh, as it stands, sometimes in the past, it's been more, sometimes it'd be less. Uh, again, depending on my schedule, when I can uh, can fit it in. Um, I, I still like to keep my hand in that. And, um, you know, it's sort of like an extension of my songwriting private instruction that I do. Uh, I feel like it's, you know, a way of sort of giving back and, and getting information out there to, to folks uh, who are, who may be learning and looking for basics and, and that kind of thing. And speaking of that, you've got a video one-on-one um, -on -one instruction that you do and uh, to get Skype. Mm -hmm. Talk about that a little yep. bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I generally uh, do private songwriting lessons. That's another one of the things that I do. I sort of split my time between writing uh, for, like we were just talking about, for certain publications um, and for 
and doing songwriting, private and songwriting instruction, as well as my studio work, uh, and then fitting in my own music when I can. <laughs> so um, one of the facets of it is uh, is 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 teaching songwriting um, to beginners, to also to uh, some advanced folks, uh, and the course can really. The course is designed by me, um, and it's uh, it can really, I think, be beneficial for, like I said, beginners or people who have been doing it for a while. And it's a, it's um, we follow a curriculum that I wrote, like I said, and it's very one on one. We do it over. I've done it. I do it in person sometimes with folks who are here in New York, um, and then a lot of times, most of it is uh, Skype, uh, where it's video chat, um, and we kind of uh, work together that way. So I have students you know, in various Chicago, Seattle, you know. Um, and, you're not limited to curriculum, right? If they come to you with a particular problem or they want some help with their song, you can do that too. Oh, yeah. I mean, I also do sort of consulting in that regard. If, if people want to come to me for a one-off kind of session where they want me to sort of uh, song doctor something or help them with something, I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, that's something that I offer and I, I definitely do. Um, so it's it's sort of, you know, one-on-one lessons, and uh, it's just like a like a, a music lesson that anybody else would have uh, for guitar or piano. Or it's just we we're just exclusively talking about songwriting, and uh, I have sort of the one half of the course goes over a lot of what I feel are important songwriting basics, as as much as I can distill them down to a sort of simple and understandable way, and then uh, of looking at it, and then we move on quickly to the writing of their own songs and kind of following my process and the way I write. And I teach them, uh, give them a method, uh, of which then they can, uh, break apart or walk away from or use for the rest of their life if they want. Um, but, uh, just give them a me- methodology, uh, and we write together and, um, and then hopefully, uh, people go on to, uh, write hit songs and send me money. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> When I uh, do that type of, um, I've never called it song doctoring just because I don't want to give, I, I, maybe because I don't give myself enough credit, but I help people write their songs. Um, I always say to them, you know what, I don't want to argue over credits. When, what, when you bring a song to me and you want to help with it, it's going to be completely your song no matter what I offer it. Um, but I know. Right. That's pretty much the way I look at it. Too, oh, yeah. so glad to hear that. Um, I think a lot of people argue over credits and stuff, and I don't think it matters anymore because what are you going to get your 50% of in this day, in these, this day and age anyway? Right. Yeah. You're half a cent, you're, you're 50% of, uh, you know, well, even if they write a gigantic hit that gets a million, that gets uh, a million streams, you're still only going to make a little bit of money. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just the recorded music business, as we all know, has sort of been, uh, you know, sort of changed in a way that, uh, it's not, not the best for, 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 for us as songwriters. I, I, I'm, 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 I mean, I, I'm not one of those people that's like, uh, you know, death to Spotify. I mean, I love Spotify as a listener, as a, as a, as a fan, cause I'm still a big music fan. Um, and I think it's fantastic, uh, you know, that I can have the, you know, the, the history of recorded music at my fingertips for, for $10 a month. I think it's great, but that said, it's, uh, obviously an issue for, for us as songwriters. Um, so I, I don't think we could, we have to villainize the technology. I think sometimes that gets, uh, confused with this, um, I think the technology is great. I think what we need to, we what we need to fix is the royalty rates, <laughs> you know. And yeah, and there just uh, recently was something that passed Congress, but I don't know the details on it. That uh, apparently uh, fixed some of the older songs. 
Yeah, that was for the that was for um, songs that were uh, published uh, be- before nineteen seventy. Um, I forget what the year. Yeah, I think it's like nineteen seventy or nineteen seventy four. So one of the, or in the early seventies, and and people were not getting proper royalties for that. So thankfully, we, we we've got that sorted out. But I think we still have a long road to go. Um, obviously, with this stuff, um, and I th- I think it'll work out. I think it will work itself out. I think it might take a while. It may you know um, I, when you look at music. Uh, in general, the music business has always it's always been something that's come in and disrupted it in some way, um, and then people had to uh, acclimate themselves or and get and get used to it. Um, you know, whether it was just you know the the mass market of appeal of of a, like a rock and roll where they came in and you know offered Chuck Berry uh, a Cadillac for his publishing, and he said, "Wow, that's great! I you know always wanted a Cadillac. I don't know what publishing is here. Take it, you know, kind of thing." I mean, I think that 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 kind of stuff is has always been going on, and I feel like we're in one of those transitional moments now, um, where it's so it's not like the birth of rock and roll per se, but I think we're in this transitional moment now with streaming, where the companies are going to grab what they can grab and as artists and, and, and our representatives, managers and, and such, I think we have to, we have to then start that, that climb back up again where we have to wrestle some of that uh, power revenue back on our side. I, I think it's going to happen. I just think it's. Well, I'll continue to talk to you whenever I need an optimistic view of that. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to I'm not that, uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm optimistic for, for the, for the thing in, uh, in general, but uh, after we die. So, exactly. <laughs> okay. That's what I was going to get. I don't know if it's going to happen in our lifetime. Original gigs. Do you play live? Yeah, man, I haven't I haven't been playing live uh I haven't been playing live in quite some time, probably since the release of the Queen's English album. So it's it's been it's been 7 years maybe. I haven't really been doing live stuff um mostly because uh I guess I at first after that I, I had a little problem with my voice. I was diagnosed with this granuloma on my vocal cord and um it was sort of making singing a, a little difficult it was a little scary and um it was sort of i kind of was able to do it in limited bursts um and uh so that kind of put the the kibosh on um the live thing for a while for me you know with rehearsing and and playing live uh that was um something that was really taking a toll on my as you know rehearsing and uh, and I'm not a trained singer by any means, so I'm sure I was singing wrong for you know years and years. Well, let's not let's not go that far. Um, <laughs> but, when you sing your high notes, especially on the Pop Job album, uh, you have a really, really amazing tone. Uh, that dirty sound that people try to get that they have to work to get. Right, that little raspy. Uh, <laughs> thanks, man. Yeah, you really have a, have that down. Nice job. Yeah, I think I think that probably was you know probably what gave me the uh, <laughs> probably gave me the the note on my uh, on my vocal cord. Um, but uh, yeah, so so that that was part of it, and then just sort of um, you know my studio work and and all the other stuff just sort of took me away from that. And and, and to be honest, I guess I'm I'm probably by nature um, I dig the live thing. I've always liked it. Um, it's fun. Um, I think by nature, I'm probably more of a studio rat. I'd like to sort of polish things up. Uh, I'd like the immediacy of the live thing, but I also dislike the imperfection of the live thing, I guess. I think that's always been something in the back of my mind. Um, so and I think all those things have come together for me to like kind of step away from the stage. But every once in a while, I get a, 
I get an itch to go back and do it. I've been thinking about it um, a lot lately. I think my voice is feeling pretty good. So um, I don't know if, how it would hold up with rehearsals and, and things, but um, I could always try. So I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about getting back into it uh, again. And, um, you know, it's always, I guess, more uh, beneficial to sort of do it around, around some sort of album release and things like that. So I've always kind of circled around their record releases and things of that nature. So I'm currently working on a new record and, and hoping that I can get that done soon. And then maybe we'll think about revisiting uh, the live stuff. Yeah, you recently posted on Facebook uh, some stuff you're working on. It's sounding great. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah, I'm about, I think we're about, at this point, um, I think out of 10 tracks, I am maybe, I think I have three more to go. So getting there, (laughs) you know, slowly but surely. um, Be sure and contact me if you want to do a little uh, follow-up chat. Cool, man. Awesome. Any other projects in the works? I'm sort of you know, spl- splitting my time between the writing, like I'd said before, and, and, and uh, instruction uh, and uh, production and that kind of thing. And I guess the biggest project now for me is really trying to get this new album done because, um, like you said, I released a single in 2016 um, and uh, the record before that is was some time before. So uh, I, I kind of do, man. I, I'm kind of itching to get some new music out into the world. Well, I'm sure that uh, everybody else is waiting uh, patiently like I am for this new stuff. Looking forward to it. Thanks, man. How should those people get in touch with you? Um, there's various ways. I mean, my, my production site, uh, the studio site is thequeensenglish.com. Um and uh, you can always get me through that. You can also get me through um, my proper artist website, which is uh, markbasino.com, or if it's easier to remember, popjob.com. They, they all go to, this, <laughs> they go to the same place. I really, really enjoyed talking with you today, and I'm glad you made some time for us. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. It was really a blast. I love, uh, love talking shop, and uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of your stuff, and uh, I, I, you know, I, it's great to talk with someone who who gets gets where I'm at and uh, you know kind of I think we, we have a lot in common obviously so it's uh, it's good to it's good to talk about that stuff you've been listening to songwriter stories episode 5 with Mark Messino there's more to this podcast than just the interview for bonus content visit songwriterstories.com and click on the writers room link for this episode that's all for now I'm Dave Caruso and I'll see you next time